Now I'm on. One, two. Maybe the, uh, there we are. So maybe, maybe I'm getting rubbed against something. Anyway, let's carry on. Let's just carry on regardless, okay? Uh, just tell me if it stops working again, won't you? So we're going to be looking at, so if you can turn in your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 11, we're going to be looking at verses 1 to 16, and I begin by just giving you that you, what you're going to be looking at is going to be unusual, maybe. If you don't normally read the Bible, you may not realize stuff like this is even in the Bible. And we as a church are going through 1 Corinthians, which means that we cover all the aspects that are in 1 Corinthians. And some of those can be jarring to us and unusual because of the culture that we're in. Now, we don't all come from... Southeast England, Southwest England, rather, um, here in London. Southeast, Southwest London. It's fine, it's all fine. Uh, South London, whatever. But you, we come from different parts of the world here. But you may find what we're about to read and what we're going to talk about slightly unusual. But that's okay. In, in, one, in Romans 12, says these words, do not be conformed any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his, hey, you see, good, pleasing, and perfect will. And we know what God's good, pleasing, and perfect will is by his, from his word. And we've got to adjust ourselves to his word and test our immediate reactions and our intuitions because they're not always right. And we are pickled in the culture we're in, wherever you're from. And our, we've got to change our minds to God's word. And uh, so we're going to be reading this now, Helen. Would you like to read 1 to 16? Thank you. Follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. I praise you for remembering me in everything and for holding to the teachings just as I pass them on to you. Now I want you to realize that the head of every man is Christ and the head of the woman is man and the head of Christ is God. Every man who prays or prophesies with his head covered dishonors his head and every woman who prays or prophesies with her head uncovered dishonors her head. It is just as though her head were shaved. If a woman does not cover her head, she should have her hair cut off. And if it is a disgrace for a woman to have her hair cut or shaved or shaved off, she should cover her head. A man ought not to cover his head, since he is the image and glory of God, but the woman is the glory of man. For man did not come from woman, 
but woman from man. Neither was man created for woman, but woman for man. For this reason, and because of the angels, the woman ought to have a sign of authority on her head. In the Lord, however, woman is not independent of man, nor is man independent of woman. For as woman came from man, so also man is born of woman. But everything comes from God. Judge for yourselves. Is it proper for a woman to pray to God with her head uncovered? Does not the very nature of things teach you that if a man has long hair, it is a disgrace to him, but that if a woman has long hair, it is her glory? For long hair is given to her as a covering. If anyone wants to be contentious about this, we have no other practice, nor do the churches of God. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this time here this morning. And Lord, as we look at difficult passages, we thank you that um, for your authority, Lord Jesus, that we um, submit to. And I pray, Lord Jesus, that we would um, hear from you this morning, Lord, that you would work in our lives for what we need to hear as we walk with you. Amen. Amen. So you can see that's quite an interesting passage, isn't it? quite a challenging passage and I'm not going to be able to cover every single facet of the passage this morning. We're going to cover some basics of it but in some ways what I'm saying is a launch pad for you isn't it? To think yourselves. Go away, read some, for example a good good study Bible is good. I've recommended the ESV study Bible before. Very good. Some simple notes in there. Um, Because at the moment, our blogs are not covering these subjects. We're looking at the Holy Spirit in our blogs. But do look at this passage. And remember, um, just pray for the Holy Spirit to help you as as you read the Bible. And there'll be stuff that you do understand. Apply that. Maybe speak to a friend. But we've all got to be studying the Bible in its entirety. And that's too often the case in church. And churches do not teach the whole Bible. They're teaching very small little snippets of, of things which are um, maybe more culturally easy to accept. And we've actually, as a church, got to go through the whole Bible. Otherwise, we don't know what's in there. And, and we've got to read it for ourselves as well. But my th- there's three elements I want to talk about this morning, or we want to talk about, which is, which is firstly difference, and then equality, and then um, demonstration. Say, say difference. Okay, men and women are different. And more specifically in this passage, husbands and wives are different. And then it's talking about equality. Men and women, single and married, are equal before God. That's also brought in the passage. And then finally, there's demonstration. Co- I mean, very simply, culturally, in this context, to wear a veil over your head as a woman spoke, it communicated to your culture certain things. So there's got to be a demonstration in the way we present ourselves, in our words and dress, that, that, that speaks to your culture that there is difference and equality. There's differences between men and women and equality between men and women. This is not easy to work out in a culture like ours. I appreciate that. But it's in the Bible, and let's have fun. Let's look at it together today. 
And I want to think, firstly, I just want to think about Jesus. Follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. And that's summarizing the whole thing. Jesus is different to the Father. Jesus is different to the Holy Spirit. When we read the Bible, we see that the Son submits to the Father, as we're going to see in our text today. And for example, in a team, any team, and this is specifically talking about marriage here, the, the, the word men and women, it's confusing in Greek because the words could be man or woman, and in some of your translations, you might notice this is husband and wife. And I believe that it's talking to husbands and wives specifically. Otherwise, all women would have to submit to every man, which would be a bit weird and would be hard, wouldn't it? But there's a specific relationship it's talking about. And it's talking to a specific problem in Corinth, where there was marriage problems. But first of all, I just wanted to get this illustration of a team. Think about a team. A football team, imagine. In a football team, I don't know anything about football, but I know there's some certain things. I know that there are strikers. I know that there would be midfield players. I know that there are different players on the pitch, and there are differences in those roles. And if there weren't those differences, particularly, for example, the goalie, right, and the people on the pitch, if there weren't those differences, then the game wouldn't work. And you could even say there are two different teams. They're not really against each other. I mean, they're playing a game, but they're actually playing with each other, aren't they, by being against each other and so on. But you can see there are differences on any good team, whether it's, whether it's in work, whether it's, and it should also be in the home. There are differences between men and women. So it says here, so we're talking from, from Scripture, okay? So now there could be lots of questions you have which I'm not going to answer, but we're trying to look at what this passage teaches. I want you to realize that the head of every, and I'm going to say head of every husband is Christ. We could say the head of every man, but the head of husband. And the head of every wife is man. And the head of Christ is God. So it's talking about this this submission and authority in marriage, which is modeled on as the head of Christ is God. Head of Christ is God. There are differences between the Father and the Son, and that's the, how husbands and wives are to model their relationship. The, this word head, kafale, means authority. It means to be in a position of authority. And we're going to talk about it being loving. It has Christ. It's modeled on Christ. So, of course, it's going to be loving authority. Every... Uh, the, um, Head of every husband is Christ, and the head of every wife is her husband. We get this relationship uh, modeled on the relationship between Christ and the Father. You can see that, can't you? It goes back to what we read in this one. Imitate me as I imitate Christ. In our marriages, we need to imitate Christ. And wives, I know it's hard to say this, and I appreciate it's culturally unusual, but in a, in a, in a healthy marriage, a wife submits to her husband as Christ submitted to the father. And obviously, the, fa- the husband is to love his wife as Christ loved the church. So, Helen, do you want to read that? So a quote from David Pryor says, The divine order is God, Christ, husband, wife. 
The husband is no more superior to his wife than God is superior to Christ. But as Christ chose to submit himself to his father, so the wife should choose to submit herself to her husband. So I want to just have a few points of application here. To husbands, can you say, or are you seeking to be able to say, because none of us completely say it, husbands in the room here, can you say, follow me as I'm following Christ? Am I following Christ? Are you following Christ wholeheartedly? That is, that is the qualification. Are you following Jesus? Are you passionate for Jesus in your relationship? Are you seeking to be worthy of following? Am I seeking to be worthy of following? To single men, if you want to marry. We've talked about singleness as we've been going through 1 Corinthians. If you want to marry, there is a gift of celibacy, there's a gift of singleness. But if you want to marry, that's a good thing. But if you do want to marry, can you say the same? I am seeking to be the kind of man that is worthy of being followed by my wife. Single women, if you want to marry, are you praying, looking for a husband who is worthy of following? Do I respect this person? Are they worthy of my respect and my trust? Are we getting into relationships for emotional reasons without implying our heads sometimes? Is this person actually... So submission is dependent on good leadership. From Ephesians 5, where Matt has mentioned, it says, Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. So love is key here. It says, Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church. So love is the key word. Submission is a voluntary thing. It's a choice. We don't have to do it. But husbands aren't going to have a wife who follows if you're not worthy of respect. If a husband demonstrates good leadership and gives himself up for his wife, then submission will follow. A husband's leadership needs to come through gentleness rather than harshness. And giving time for a wife to think and pray about issues when it comes to particularly submission. And just an example for us in our marriage, um, when we were moving here, um, something I had to come to terms with, I found very difficult the, the thought of moving our family to London. And thinking back, it took six months for us, from Matt first mentioning it, to me feeling that I could be in a place where, yes, I can submit to my husband's authority in this. But it was the way that Matt led me in that is gentle. It wasn't harsh saying, Helen, we've got to make that decision. Um, he gave me time. We had dialogue. We kept talking. We kept going backwards and forwards. He would listen to my feelings and my thoughts. And it was in a loving and gentle way that I felt I could submit to Matt's authority. And just that key word again of love. Love is so um, important in our relationships. So we're talking about difference here, aren't we? There are differences between men and women and that role of leadership and submission. And um, I just want to make this point that as I, as I think about it, think about what we're talking about leading into. What are we talking about here? 
We're talking about leading into loving Jesus and serving him in our lives, right? This is not just about like leading like, what is the main thing as a husband I'm seeking to lead my wife into and my family? I'm seeking to lead them into a healthy relationship with Jesus. I'm seeking to lead them into wholeness and health. And, and I'm, I know that Helen can help me as well. It's not that. It's just this is a scriptural teaching. So men, we need to take responsibility and we need to lead to our wives into loving Jesus. That's the, it's, you know, it's not just about what... There's lots of other decisions in life that we're going to talk about. But are we leading to love Jesus? That's the main thing. To put Jesus at the center of our family life. Okay, that's that. So that's difference. There are differences. Now there's a quality as well. Equality means that you're of equal value. Equal worth. Equal value, equal worth. Let's think about Jesus again. Imitate me as I imitate Jesus. Jesus is of equal worth with the Father. He is God the Son. And the Spirit, we can add as well, is of equal worth to the Son and the Father. The Trinity is the example here of what we're talking about. And we model ourselves particularly upon Jesus, as it says. There is equality between the Son and the Father. As in, a, again, we could talk about a sports team. Again, different roles on the pitch doing different things. But you're all equal and all important towards the outcome. You know, sometimes it's the striker that wants the glory. It could seem like they get the glory. But without the defenders, without the goalie, without the you know, others, without the coach, you're not going to be a great team. And it's true in marriage as well. You're, we are of equal worth before God, even if we are different. So let's just read again verses 11 to 12 to see that what we're talking about here. Nevertheless, in the Lord, woman is not independent of man. Again, we could be talking specifically about marriage. The husband, the wife rather, is not independent of her husband, nor is a man independent of woman. For as woman came from man, so also man is born of woman, but everything comes from God. Paul is kind of, he's not backtracking, but in saying what he's saying about the role of submission and authority, he wants to make, don't misunderstand me, he's saying, don't misunderstand me, I want you to understand that we're not, we are mutually dependent on each other, we are mutually valuable, we come from each other, men and women are of equal worth and importance before God. There is equality, even though there, are, there is differences. And this goes back to what we read in Genesis 1.26. Both men and women are made in the image of God. Amen? We're both all made in the image of God. And we are of equal worth. And um, again, let me just remind you, the, he the hedge, Jesus Christ is God. Equal the Father. And we read in 11.3, didn't we? The head of Christ is God. And when it says God, he means the God the Father. The head of Christ is God. And that's who we're modeling ourselves on. And if it's 
And, and we obviously do believe, don't we agree, that Jesus is, is uh, one with the Father, is equal with the Father. Another quote, this time from Paul Gardner. Christ provides the ultimate example to them. He who is the covenant Lord has revealed more clearly than anyone in history how headship and voluntary submission work without any diminishment of status. Very good. Jesus is our example. Let's model ourselves on Christ. So do we, do we value each other as equal? Do we value each other as equal? Men, women, do we value each other as equal? Are we putting our own interests first? The world is full of this. It's backlash, isn't there? We mustn't. We must value each other. We are equal before God. We must value that equality. Men and women are not independent of each other. We are dependent on one another in the church. Men and women are needed in the church. God made man, you know, woman for man. We are to, together to fulfill God's call on us. And that's in marriage, but it's also true generally. We need each other, men and women. The differences that men and women bring are, 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 make, make us more glorious in humanity. Make, make mankind more glorious and bring the glory of God more and more clearly through both men and women together, working together. And in marriage specifically, obviously. Do we seek advice from each other? So in saying about leadership, again, do I lead by seeking advice, you see? That's also a leadership role, isn't it? We could say proactive. Are you proactive, men? Are we proactive in saying, in calling out the best in our wives, seeking their advice? Are we being proactive towards a healthy marriage, you could say? We may, we may have experienced failed marriages here in the room. And it won't be because the man was proactive in loving, was, will, will it be? It will be because of, of, of a failure on our, in our characters. Whereas if we're proactive in loving and submission and authority in a good, loving fashion, laying down our lives for each other, it leads to health, health in a marriage. So we need to put the needs of one another first before our own needs. In um, Philippians 2, 5 to 8, it says, In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. So this is a great reminder to all of us to do this, to lay our lives down for one another. In our home, Matt often would say to the children, the greatest is those who serve. And just having that mindset of serving one another, loving one another, but serving to lay your life down. And women, are we, do we have this attitude to our husbands? Do we lay our lives down for them? And to the single, just briefly, and really importantly, 
is that we're talking now, aren't we, about equality. We talked about difference. Now we're talking about equality. We must really remember, if we are single in the room, you are of equal worth in the church before God as married people. You've got a great contribution to make. As we've been looking through 1 Corinthians, you see that, don't you? There are different callings in our lives. All of us will have a period of singleness. Maybe we return to a period of, we'll all return to a period, if we're married, we will all return to a period of singleness at the death of our spouse. Being married is a temporary thing. And if you are single, you are of equal worth before God. And, and you need to own that this morning. And, and throw off lies that, you, that maybe people have told you or whatever. Take on board the equal, equality before God, that you are made in the image of God, loved by God, and have a great contribution to make to God, to the world, to the church. Just to add to that. Please do. Yes. Um, in the last few months, for us as a family, we have been so blessed by the kindness and love of single people. My, um, my dad died in January, and the love, particularly to my mum in her church, has been amazing, but particularly there are single people who have had the time to, to do just so many things, and it really is a blessing to us to, to watch on and see how my mum is being served. And now my mum is in that place, as Matt has said, she is now yeah. a, a single person, and she is How old are married for? 55 years. 55 years. Not sure. Um, But yeah, so she is now looking to serve God in her new stage of life. Um, So yeah, just an encouragement that we have been blessed with. Amazing to see. She's picked up this new baton now, and she's starting to run this new race as a single woman, having been married for 55 years. It's amazing to see, and um, it's wonderful. So we've talked about difference. We've talked about so differences. There are differences between men and women. And there are differences, particularly in marriage, between men and women, leadership and, and submission. And we, I, I trust you've understood that that leadership is modelled on Christ and that submission is modelled on Christ to the Father and it's voluntarily given. And it should be, in some senses, earned by your character, men. You need to be seeking to follow Christ so you are worthy of being followed. Talked about um, equality. Now we just briefly talk about demonstration. There's, Paul's talking here about a demonstration, an outward demonstration in the way that they were dressing that showed this and reflected and reflected this difference and this equality. And this is hard to work out in our day, isn't it? But Jesus demonstrated his submission to the Father. He demonstrated it with his words. He spoke lovingly of the Father. He spoke of obeying the Father, of doing what he willed. Can I say the blinding obvious? He was in the earth out of the will of the Father and the Son, of course. But it's God so loved the world, he gave his one and only Son. And there was some kind of relate. You know, there was some kind of thing that happened. A plan was made where the son submitted to the father. Can I also say 
that the Son demonstrates outwardly his submission to the Father by a woman in the first century was to be covered with a veil, which is not uncommon in many cultures even now, isn't it? Is it? And, but Jesus covered himself with flesh. Let's remember Jesus was eternally spirit. Jesus took on flesh in incarnation at that first Christmas where we remember that the, the word became flesh. So he covered himself. And that whole, his body now in heaven, which bears the scars of his submission and love. So he outwardly demonstrates, in his, the way he looks now, forever demonstrates his love and submission to the Father without in any way losing his uh, value, without in any way losing his equality and his dignity. So demonstration then, again in a team likewise, there would often be particularly different ways of presenting yourself. So maybe the goalie, and this is obviously a very down-to-earth kind of illustration, but in a, in a team, maybe the goalie would be dressed very differently to the team players and so on. And there's that demonstration in the way they presented themselves of their different roles. And that's true in the first century. Now, we've got to work it out in our day, which is not so easy. So let me just read you verse 4 and 5. Every man or husband who prays or prophesies with his head covered dishonors his head. He dishonors Jesus, dishonors God. Every woman who prays or prophesies with her head uncovered dishonors her head, dishonors her husband, dishonors her marriage in this context. It is as if her head were shaved. Now, this is about the gathered church in worship. When they worshipped, there was some issue going on here where women were throwing off cultural norms now, don't, we don't know the details, and I'm not going to speculate too much, but they were throwing off cultural norms that were made, made them appear like they were disrespecting the fact that they were women and that they were respect, disrespecting their husbands. So this, for example, let's talk about the head covering very briefly. It, it's controversial as to even what it was. I think it was probably a veil, probably a piece of material that was placed over the head. And it reflected a few things. It reflected that you were a woman. It reflected that you were married. Now, don't get me wrong, I think the single women also wore this. But there was a, it was a respect towards your husband to wear a veil. That you honoured your husband. There seemed to be something culturally about when somebody threw off this veil in other settings, it spoke of being um, sexually immoral and available in an ungodly fashion. It seems to be the case. Again, I'm speculating slightly, but that seems, as I studied, seems to be the situation. It showed that you were honoring God, honoring your marriage, loving your husband, that you were a woman, those kind of things, by having the veil. And the man was not to, not, not to wear the veil because he was a man and because of his, uh, his, the opposite things, really. And we've got to remember... 
So nowadays, and none of you are wearing, I mean, Phil's wearing his cap this morning. I wore a cap as I walked in. Maybe we should swap over. The women should be wearing caps now. Actually, don't, many women do wear caps, do they? It seems to be the men thing. Um, but that, just a few years ago, men didn't wear caps, did they? Things change, fashions change. We live in a fast-paced, fast-changing culture. Very different world to this first century situation. So, it, I will, if you choose, you can re, you read this for yourself. We love God's word. We want to obey it. Read it for yourself. And if you feel that you should wear a head covering, women, I will respect you for, for doing so. If you choose to do so. Some people do choose to do so, don't they? And you can do so if you wish to. And... I'm not recommending you do as a leader of this church. I would obviously have spoken about this sooner. But I don't believe that this is teaching that you should wear a head covering. I believe you should respect the culture you're in and communicate in the culture you're in by what you wear. So um, let's just think about this. So it's called symbolic translation is a, is a word that's used. Symbolic translation. These head covering was symbolic of something, as I've been speaking about. But let's just think about these phrase, greet one another with a holy kiss. Just hands up if you kissed each other as you walked in this morning. Ah, <gasps> you disobedient people. That's a joke. Greet one another with a holy kiss kiss. Now, in our culture, we symbolically translate that, don't we, into maybe a handshake or a, a hug or a side hug. You know, that's got a Christian hug. Or nowadays, a bit of a fist pump, right? Or an elbow. Who would have thought? That was just an just a elbow isn't a good one, right? No, no, you know, the elbow thing. Because of COVID. Who would have thought a couple of years ago we'd be using this elbow thing or this fist thing and, and so on, and things change. Symbolic translation is updating the symbols that communicate with your culture. So, to communicate your welcome in, in this culture, oftentimes, is to make someone a cup of tea. Offer them a cup of tea, or a cup of coffee to shake their hand. That kind of thing, yeah? And there are different cultures and different ways of communicating. And you've got to try and update your, your symbols so that you communicate what you want to communicate in your culture. Okay, I hope that makes sense, right? So symbolic translation. So therefore, in that first culture, head covering communicated that you loved your husband, you were honoring your husband. I don't think it does in our culture. You may disagree with me and you may choose to wear a head covering. That's up to you. But I'm not going to be teaching that. Okay? So let's think about application. This is not, not easy. I've been, t been, been work thinking about this a lot. This is not easy to communicate. We haven't got such a clear um, dress rules that communicate that you're a woman and that you're married or that you're a man and that you're married. You haven't got such dress, clear dress rules, have you? So it's not e as easy to, 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 um, to talk about. All I can say is let's think about our own motivations and heart here. If you've got any advice on how to do this better, then you can talk to me about it. But I can't think of any way of, uh, you know, a clear way of saying, not this, this, not this, this. 
So this is what I would say is this. What does your persona communicate? What are you trying to communicate with your persona? What are you trying to say with how you dress, how you present yourself? What are you trying to say? Search your own heart. What is the motivations of the way we dress? And ask the Holy Spirit to search your heart. And let's, let's dress in a way that honors our husband, honors our wife, and if we're single, honors God. It's present- I think that's as, simple as, that's as simple as complex as I can be. I think. So, if we think about how we can apply this to us, thinking about our speech, do we build each other up? Are we honoring to one another or to husbands and wives? I think when I was thinking about this, um, it is quite often now that it can be that people will say, oh, men, you know, they can't do this, they can't do that. Quite derogatory. And I think, is that good? Should we be going down that path? And, and that's something I've had to address in myself. Matt, although I love him dearly. I deserve it a lot of the time. I he is quite messy. He's quite scatty. He's organized. On, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Honor me, honor and me. sometimes I can be, oh, Matt, like... But actually, it's something I've had to think about. Am I honoring him? Am I building him up in my speech and to other people around them? When you're in the staff room and people are talking negatively about their husbands or wives, are you entering into that or are you setting an example and building one another up? And then importance in our dress for women in um, particularly the summer months when it's warmer, are we dressing when we come into our worship with God? Are we dressing in a way that is appropriate? Or is it a little bit provo- provocative? Something for us to think about. And then finally, it tells us there in Ephesians that every man who prays or prophesies, and it says every woman who prays or prophesies, just an encouragement there for us. Are we praying and prophesying? in our times of worship together. That's something, again, would not naturally be me. I prefer to be in the background. But it's there about praying and prophesying. Is that something we need to be seeking God? That, yes, we have something to bring when we come into our times of worship, in our community group, whatever our setting is. Yeah. It's so important to remember. This is not about just don't, don't, don't. Pray and prophesy We're in God's presence here. And let's dress and our persona be one which actually helps one another and doesn't distract each other. And therefore, let's search our own hearts that when we present ourselves, we're presenting ourselves in ways that aren't going to distract one another. And actually, we're going to actually do what we're here for. Focus on Jesus. Pray. Prophesy. Men and women, it says here, doesn't it? Praise and prophesize. This is freedom to be involved actively in the church. The band's going to come up. We're going to do that now. We're going to worship. We're going to pray. We're going to prophesy, I trust. 
We're going to focus on Jesus. And let's remember what this is all about love. This is about love. This is about looking at Jesus and seeking to imitate him in our relationships. As husbands, am I seeking to lead like Jesus and to the things that Jesus wants? Wives, am I seeking to love my husband and follow him into, are we working together to the things that Jesus wants for our lives? Are we a team working together these, to these great things? Let's remember the great love of Jesus. He's, he is our example of all that we're doing. Single people, married people, all of us. Let's look at Jesus and let's seek to love each other in everything, in the way we speak, but also in the way we present ourselves, in a way that promotes godliness. We live in a culture, don't we, that is promoting ungodliness. Because we could say, oh, the church all so out of step, aren't they, with our great wisdom. Oh, our great wisdom. Our great wisdom as a culture on, on marriage and relationships. Because and, we've all got it together, haven't we? Because our culture's got it together. It's, everything's wonderful because we've got modern. No, Jesus' way and following Jesus' example is the way to health, wholeness, fruitfulness, and joy in our relationships. Even if it may feel a bit out of step with what we're used to hearing. So thank you so much for listening this morning. Thank you for your patience. Please go away and prayerfully look at this text again and keep thinking about these things. So let's now stand and we're going to focus on Jesus and worship him together. To bring you praise, praise the name of Jesus, lifting high the name of Jesus, lifting high the name of Jesus. We are here. Come to bring you praise and praise the name of Jesus, lifting high the name of Jesus, lifting high the name of Jesus, lifting high the name of Jesus. Lifting high 
Jesus. And we are here. We are here. Gathered in your name. Oh, the name of Jesus. We are here. Come to bring you praise. Praise the name of Jesus. Lifting high. Name of Jesus, lifting high. Name of Jesus, lifting high. Name of Jesus, lifting high. Name of Jesus. That's your name. The mountains shake and crumble. That's your name. The oceans roar and tumble. That's your name. Angels will bow. The earth will rejoice. Your people cry out, we sing, oh, earth will shout your name and shout your name, hailing up the skies with endless praise, endless praise, Yahweh, Yahweh. Dear Lord, just shout your name, oh, Shout your name, filling up the skies with endless praise, endless praise, Yahweh, Yahweh. Fill up to shout your name, ho, ho. We sing, ho, ho, the earth will shout your name and shout your name, filling up the skies with Endless praise, endless praise, Yahweh, No one like a God 